Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Can we, can we talk a bit about some of the nuts and bolts? Because that was, um, w- when we were having our pre-chat, that was all new to me, uh, that the idea of, uh, you described it as process goals, performance goals, and outcome goals. Do you want to talk us through that concept? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, goal, setting goals is, is a really, you know, fundamental kind of tool that we, we use in sports psychology. Um, and, you know, as with a lot of sports psychology, it, it doesn't have to just be used within sport, right? I mean, this is a, a, a skill that once you kind of, you can think think of the world in this way, it's something that people can use across the board. Um, but, you know, is is thinking about the idea of sort of, you know, every everyone will have sort of big dreams and aspirations, right? And that will be, you know, the, the terminology in sports psychology is that that is your outcome goal, right? So for Tottenham, that might be finishing top four, this season might be even higher. Um, But, you know, that might be the outcome goal that people are aspiring to. The problem is that on a day to day basis, it's quite hard to sort of motivate yourself for that because you you can't win the Premier League in week one or week two, right? You have to wait until all of the game weeks are played and then you find out who's won. So what sports psychologists like to do is then break break that down. Um, So they break down the outcome goal first into sort of performance goals. Um, and the other reason for doing this is is the level of control. You know, I, I spoke a bit already about control, and it's really crucial to so much of sports psychology. Um, is that you can't determine if you're going to win the Premier League or not just as your own team, right? And a great example of that would be talking to the Liverpool team a couple of seasons ago, right? You go, congratulations, guys, you're going to score 99 points in the league this year. And they'd go, oh, cool, so we won the league? And you go, no, 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 sorry, mate, City are going to pick you by a point, right? If they had set themselves an outcome goal to win the, win the league and score 99 uh, points across the season, they would have hit one of those, but not the other, right? So what, you, what sports psychologists like to do instead is try and bring that back to the things that you as, your, as an individual or you as a team 
can control. And so that's where these sort of performance goals come in. So that might be as a team going out there and sort of working on certain bits of, of, you know, some of the sort of more tactical elements that have been worked on in the week. You know, as an individual, it would be sort of, you know, if there's certain bits of potentially also technique, but also kind of like roles that you've been asked to do, you know, making certain decisions in a certain way. So it's really about sort of what you are doing on the pitch, either either as an individual or as a, or as a team that are sort of like when you t- kind of combine all of those, they should result in the outcome that you want in that match. So it should result in three points. So it's very much like, OK, if all 11 of us hit all of our perf- performance goals, we will win this match. And I, I think, you know, there's potentially kind of some some matches where you can look at at, at Spurs and you can say, like, we probably did pretty much all of our performance goals or certainly did them for the vast majority of the match. Um, hard not to immediately think of the, the sort of recent West Ham game, you know, where we were entirely dominant for most of that match and played really well for most of it as well. You know, but, you know, so in terms of performance goals, there were 83 odd minutes where everyone was smashing and ticking every box. It's just that in those seven minutes at the end, we kind of fell to pieces and we stopped hitting those performance goals. But the outcome was still incredibly kind of a freak occurrence to concede three goals in the last seven minutes is is outstandingly rare. But what you can try to do is you can try to take positives out of the performance that was still on point for the vast majority of that game. And the way that you then sort of build up to those performance goals, as I mentioned, you know, you're maybe trying to put things in to practice that you've been working on in training is you then break it down even more. So you mm-hmm. break it down into the process goals and those process goals are what you would be doing day in, day out. So every day that you turn up for training, what are the things you're going to be working on? Um, and of course, that's not necessarily just limited to the, you know, to, to training. You know, it could also be strength and conditioning, flexibility, nutrition, sleep, hydration, all of all of those other things. Yeah, you know, and and also potentially sports psychology uh, could can be a process goal in and of itself. Um, so you know, you have this this way of kind of breaking these breaking these long-term ambitions down into these smaller component parts. And what's really powerful about that is kind of moving forward through them, they keep you focused because you know that when you wake up in the morning, you're not dreaming about, I wonder what will happen in May. You're thinking, I'm going to go you know, to the training pitch today and here's the things I'm going to work on. But first, I'm going to make sure I've had my liter of water and I've had a healthy, you know, nutritious breakfast or, you know, actually, it turns out they all do that at the at this at the uh, the training center, it turns out. So, you know, but like, you know, working on all of those things, it gives you something to really focus on in the here and now. Then looking back, it also can be really powerful as a sort of confidence building tool, because when you're kind of then getting to the tail end of the season, you know, you've done all of the things along the way that help build you up right or, or even at the end of the, the week or when you're going into the the match right you know that in every training session that week you've hit your goals you've worked on the things you needed to work on whether that's improving weaknesses or enhancing strengths whether that's on the field or off the field you you know you've done those things and that's just really helpful when you then step out on the pitch and you're faced with a bit of a moment of adversity is you can just sort of really easily and really sincerely call on those experiences and go, no, 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 I've got this. I can do this. I have done all of the things I needed to do to get me here that will result in the performance that I 
want from myself. And if I keep performing like this, I will get the outcome that I want, whether that's top four or FA Cup or whatever it happens to be. But and of course, those outcome goals can also easily be individual, right? So for someone like Harry Kane, you know, an outcome goal might be winning the golden boot. But again, that's a really hard one to control because what if someone else, one of the other strikers goes on a massive you know, streak, pips him by one goal at the end of the season. He can't control whether he's going to win that golden boot or not. What he can do is he can work on his performances so that he's in the right position. He's getting the right number of touches. He's you know, linking up with the right players. And then in, as a process goal, he's going to be working on his technique. He's going to be working with those teammates, you know, building that understanding, building the technique, building the strength, building the stamina, building the flexibility, doing the prehab so he doesn't injure his ankle. All of those things, those are the things he's doing on a day-to-day basis. This is so interesting. It's, it's all, all of what you've just said there has made me think quite differently about um, the way players then talk about the games. And, and I think you must get really frustrated with the way the football community discusses um, things like post-match interviews because as you were talking I was thinking so when a player comes out after the game and says I'm you know I'm not focusing on the end of the season I'm just taking one match at a time that is exactly what you want to hear and mm-hmm. and yet they're widely mocked for being too media trained or mm-hmm. or footballer speak or whatever and, and equally when a manager like Brendan Rodgers comes out and talks about the amount of possession they had in the match okay it might not be to everyone's taste having lots of possession certainly not Jose Mourinho's um but if that's one of his if that's one of his performance goals then reiterating the fact that they achieved that his team achieved that goal is surely a really good thing for his team to hear in the, in the press conference and yet again that's widely mocked when by people who say well you know they lost the game 2-0 why is the amount of possession they had relevant at all clearly it's relevant if that's one of the performance goals that they've set internally for the team yeah absolutely and um actually in the the notes that i had for this was i had actually written down the exact phrase taking it one game at a time because that is a really process oriented way of thinking about a season right and and it's one of the reasons why yeah basically every player you know and we've been because we've had a good start to the season it's been some of our players recently you know, the microphone pops in and at the end of the game and they go, so are you going to win the league, Harry? Mm-hmm. And he goes, we're not thinking about that. We're just taking it one game at a time, right? Because you don't know. There's there's no possible way of knowing now at the end of November or whatever, whether or not we're going to win the league in May. And there are too many variables, very, you know, and a large number of those are well beyond any individual's player's control mm-hmm. or, or even Tottenham Hotspur FC's control we don't know what the other teams are going to do we don't know whether half our team's going to come down with covid we don't know if harry kane's going to break his leg you know there are just way too many variables to say that's what we're going to focus on what you want is take it game by game take it day by day do the right things in training and then do the right things in matches um and i think what's what's really therefore quite interesting is you know there is definitely contrast in in how managers approach that and certainly in what we see of Mourinho, you know, the way he certainly presents himself in the press is he is all about the outcome goals. You know, he is a winner. It is just about the trophies. Um, and, you know, I think there is, you know, again, we, we have no idea what he's doing behind the scenes. We don't know what wasn't what wasn't included in the all or nothing document, documentary that might be happening anyway. But that certainly seems like potentially a bit of a risky approach to that because what you would like to see is we're going to win 
you know, I want us to win this league or I want us to win this trophy or that cup or whatever, but the way we're going to do it, you know, and it, and it should, it should flow as quickly as that in, in my, in my, you know, to, to my impression is, is, is it should be, here's what I, our outcome goal is, destination, but we're now going to think about exactly how we're going to get there. What are we doing week by week? What are we doing day by day that eventually gets us to that outcome goal? Or in fact, specifically, gives us the best chance of getting mm. that outcome goal because mm. you, you you cannot guarantee it. Um, and I, I think that's also just an interesting point, often for for fans as well. Like, um, you know, we've we have been a long suffering fan base. We've had some very near misses, you know, in cup competitions. Um, but that, you know, ultimately just sort of saying, like, we need to win a trophy is is a really hard thing to bring about right unsurprisingly every other team in a cup competition would also like to win the trophy that year (laughs) right and so you are going to come up against a lot of variables that the players cannot control the club cannot control you can come up against a team who just have an absolute blinder on the day you know and and as another example of when performance goals maybe don't result in the outcome goals is basically every game against Newcastle I can think of, right? Where all of a sudden a goalkeeper turns up and you've never heard of him before. And all of a sudden he's making sort of peak Manuel Neuer look like, you know, jumpers for goalposts amateur, Um, you know, and we have 30 odd shots on target and none of them go in. But what you would, as the sports psychologist, what you would then probably try and focus on is you guys had 30 shots on target. You were in the right places. You were doing the right things. You were making the right passes. It just didn't quite translate from performance into outcome. Um, and the reason for that is because otherwise it just becomes really demoralizing, right? If if every single time something doesn't quite go your way, you go, oh, well, that's that ruined. You know, you, you, you lose motivation pretty quickly. Um, and so just sort of focusing on on the things you can do, the things you can control, uh, is is a really powerful way of, of trying to break that down. Mm. Yeah, this is this is um, really eye opening stuff for me. Um, the other thing that occurred to me is, given that every player is different, every player has had a different background. Some players have come through Category One academies where they've got some uh, some uh, building blocks there. They understand some of these, some of the terminology at least, and uh, some of, some of the concepts. Others won't have that same background. How difficult is it to 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 try and apply some of these processes to different players? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think. Well, to start with, you are completely correct is that, you know, every player is is different. They will come in with a sort of a, essentially a different sort of psychological profile. Some will be more, you know, more resilient than others. Um, some will kind of derive motivation in slightly different ways. Um, but, you know, so trying to find messaging that kind of applies across all of those is is definitely a challenge. Um, I guess what, you know, as if you're if you're, you know, in, in my role as a sports psychologist, when I go in and talk to teams, you know, I therefore try and give the sort of the, the tools that they can use. So, you know, um, goal setting is a, is a really good one. Um, but also, you know, there are certain other things that you can do. So sort of things like self-talk. So everyone talks to themselves and it is the person who talks to you most over the course of it happens basically all of the time that you're awake um there's nothing weird or unnatural about it everyone does it but you know there are helpful ways of talking to yourself and unhelpful ways and actually sometimes those vary from from person to person so as a sports psychologist if you're addressing a team it's one of the things you often start with is is essentially asking people to kind of be a bit self-aware about you know 
what are some of the times when you've played well what was that voice in your head saying to you when you started sort of maybe crumbling under pressure a bit or when you lost your temper what was your voice saying to you then you know that that kind of stuff can be really helpful as a starting point but then trying to work on that right so what are some of the ways that you can reframe that and again it's sort of maybe well yes okay you walked up to take the penalty and you thought don't miss don't miss don't miss and then Mm -hmm. you missed right so maybe what you could have been thinking is top right top right top right and that might have been a a more positive confident way to to think about the the same thing um so you know there are things like that um imagery is another tool that that we call on a lot so you know and that that can be incredibly powerful um not just for sort of skill development so imagery is basically the idea of sort of playing through scenarios in your head um and again the the research there is like is really quite powerful that that you can you know the same the same parts of your brain fire when you think about executing a, a skill as they do when you actually execute it so you're essentially sort of building up some of that muscle memory for executing a specific task but you can also use imagery for for more psychological things so you can actually use it to model resilience for example so you can imagine like okay right i'm i'm not just going to think about me lifting the champions league trophy right but i'm going to use it to imagine we've gone a goal behind in the first minute due to a dubious (laughs) penalty how do i as a team or sorry how do i as an individual like bounce back from that how do i give off signals that are positive and sort of encouraging to my teammates so that we as a team what can I say to them so that we as a team bounce back and that's not the be all and end all that's not the game over after 60 seconds you know so there are there are things like that and and very much when we talk about imagery we sort of try to encourage people to sort of you know the, the good the bad and the ugly right so it shouldn't just be the kind of yeah the the sort of heroic yeah i've scored the kind of the danny rose or you know harry wade's 50 yard screamer against <laughs> arsenal on debut right it's the like what is what do i do when this goes wrong um and and yeah so sort of those sorts of those sorts of tools are the kinds of things that you can really you can give out as quite blanket sort of tips and tricks and techniques um regardless of the sort of differences between the players once you're sort of working with them on a more frequent basis certainly if you're working with them individually you can obviously tailor things very very closely to them but i think you know when you're if you're imagining sort of giving a team talk to a a wide collection of people is it's really just about sort of trying to make sure that what you're doing is kind of still falls within within a lot of what we've talked about already right so while you're right that some people will be a bit more naturally resilient or or may you know it might sort of wash off them and they might not take it personally what you're kind of trying to do is work slightly to the person who that isn't true for, right? Because the, the the research that has been done on all of the things that I've spoken about is sort of this will work for some people more or less than others, you know, or it can be more or less harmful for some people. But like if there's a chance it's it's harmful to their motivation or their confidence or whatever, we'll try and do it the other way. You know, it's probably going to make the naturally resilient people even more resilient and it might be make the people who are slightly at the other end of the spectrum it's not going to bring them down so you know there's a kind of a case there for you know what in medical terms would be the sort of the do no harm kind of concept right so try and try and find the way of phrasing things try and find the way of framing things that is going to sort of help the most people and do the least harm to everyone in the dressing room God, it's, it's so much going into it. it it's mind-boggling that Spurs don't have a whole team devoted to this because the um, 
potential for things to go wrong is, is, is just as, as concerning to me as the potential to actually improve things. Um, so I, I, I think every team should really have a, a proper team of um, sports psychology experts on hand most of the time, judging by what you're saying. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's talk a little bit about the the career itself and the career path um so obviously you're having to train for an awful long time to be Mm -hmm. a sports psychologist I think that it's important that we acknowledge that and talk about that a little bit but also the sports industry and how to get into it it'd be interesting to hear your perspective Alex on what you think it's like as an industry to sort of break into yeah so I think so yeah you're right that the uh the training process is is a pretty long one um as are basically all the sort of psychological fields um, so you have to have done basically, you know, if you do a sort of undergrad in some, some form of psychology, um, then there's a, a one year masters in sports and exercise psychology. Um, and then you basically train, you, you do some sort of on the job training and there's a, a couple of different pathways that are open to you at that point. Um, so the most sort of established and long running one, is sort of under the British Psychological Society, uh, the BPS. And that's basically where you sort of go out, you start trying to build up clients, you see them, but you have a, a supervisor who you you pay. So there are much more kind of established, accredited uh, sports psychologists who's kind of working in the field. And you pay to have a chat with them. And so you'll have a sort of maybe a monthly or, or you know, yeah, about every month, I think is probably pretty common. You check in with them. If you've got any questions, if you've had any challenges with clients, you can go to them um, and sort of ask their advice. Um, sometimes that'll be one-on-one sessions, depending on who your your supervisor is. Um, and then in the meantime, you're also doing a bit of research into a chosen field. Um, and there's also a, a few other sort of requirements that you're just meant to sort of show that you've been going to conferences or talks and presenting your knowledge. So actually even things like sort of appearing on a podcast and getting, you know, kind of spreading the news about sports psychology can count towards that that kind of stuff um so that's that's the sort of the most popular route um there's a very similar one that's run by a different association that which is called bases which is the sort of sports science uh kind of overseeing body um and then there's the route that i'm taking which is doing a sort of professional doctorate um so that's at the university of portsmouth uh, there's another couple of of universities in the country as well that do that um, and that, again, it's very similar in concept and scope to 
to what the, the sort of the, that more established route is. Um, it's just that it's all sort of brought in-house within a university um, so that they give you the support, they give you the supervisors. Um, the research component there is is a bit more in depth and a bit more strenuous. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of broadly all the sort of same process. And for most people that that takes kind of between two and four years, uh, the professional doctorate, maybe more like to the three to five. Um, and yeah, all of that is sort of designed to let people kind of start working, start seeing clients kind of jump into that. Um, but obviously still providing them with that kind of support network so that they have a supervisor so that if there's you know something that they're not confident about, um, they can kind of turn to that person. Because yeah, I think one of the one of the most common features you hear about from people who are just sort of starting out is, you know, they they know the stuff, they've studied it in their masters or whatever, and they've come out and they they know the theory and then they're faced with someone and, and all of a sudden there's this sort of real kind of realization that the person in front of them is like a real human being and you're trying to give them advice or tips and tricks and techniques to sort of help them with something that is you know for everyone sport you know if, you, if you're involved in sport it, it means something to you and if it means enough that you've sought out a sports psychologist there's probably you know it it means a lot and there's potentially something that's not going right with it so you know you're talking to a person and you know how much they care and you desperately want to help them you desperately don't want to mess anything up so having that supervisor in those sort of early stages is a, a really sort of helpful and kind of um, reassuring safety net to have basically you're talking about eight or nine years of training before you're really um able to start consulting properly um so i mean i guess that ta- i guess it, that tallies in some ways with the development of the adolescent brain because you're going to be at least 27 28 before you can start practicing um sports psychology which makes sense um and and then where do you start getting a foot in the door how does the industry um work and operate in that sense do, are there sort of entry-level roles available yeah so there there are um that you know it's it's a competitive industry for sure um there's but there there are lots of opportunities and i think as with you know a lot of roles in in psychology and and mental health more broadly it's a really, a really growing field so you are seeing more and more teams more and more sports taking on sports psychologists to help out um so there are positions op- you know positions opening up all the time what you but you know those are potentially very competitive um certainly wanting to work in you know work wanting to work in football is is very kind of competitive almost everyone wants to um regardless of whether you're a big football fan or not it just sort of looks good it is by far the richest sport in the country so if you've got a premier league team on your cv like that looks amazing um you know but then there are people who've carved out incredible fulfilling roles you know with some really kind of niche sports right and if you can find a niche that you sort of then own that can be really cool you know you can learn a lot about a sport that you never knew about before but also then you you know you're you're in and you're kind of really established within that that sport that organization um in terms of sort of yeah getting getting your foot in the door like there are it's not always easy you know there are like i said some of these positions are very very competitive but you know and often when you're looking for sort of entry level things there are opportunities that will be either unpaid or or very very poorly paid um Mm. just as a sort of way of kind of you know yeah we, we will pay you an experience um and you know they know that in order to get that sort of qualification you know to become a fully certified 
sports psychologist, you need to show you've worked a certain number of hours. They know you need to build a client base. Um, so, you know, they, they know that they can sort of ask people to come and volunteer for them. Um, and you know, that's, that's problem problematic on a number of levels. Mm -hmm. These, this process is expensive. You have to pay for a supervisor. You have to, you know, obviously you've got all of your living expenses on top of that. You Mm -hmm. potentially got a a reasonable chunk of student debt from uh, an undergrad and a master's, you know, so there's, there's a lot going on there and you've kind of all of a sudden then people are asking you if you want to come and work for free. Um, that's a really tricky position to put people in. Um, but you know, that's not always the case. There are definitely some opportunities out there. Um, I think one thing that's worth, worth noting is that basically there are, there are almost no sports psychologists, I would say, who have one job. So everyone's doing bits and pieces of, of, of everything. So, you know, maybe you're working with a football club a couple of days a week or one day a week. Maybe you're working with a rugby club. Maybe you're doing, you know, every, you know, you've got a half dozen individual clients who come and see you. Um, then there are the sports psychologists who also then work potentially in, in academia as well. So, you know, there's a lot of kind of basically everyone's got a you know sort of portfolio job where they, they piece together as much of kind of as much work as they can get and feel like they can manage. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's with that comes a lot of cool benefits that, you know, you you can pick and choose. You can to some extent, especially once you sort of get established, you can maybe find some niches that are really interesting. It also means that potentially you're having to scrabble around and certainly at the beginning of your, your career, you're basically saying yes to anything, especially mm-hmm. if it's paid um, just to try and build up a CV. Um, certainly, you know, as sport is not always particularly well funded outside of, you know, a, a very, very small handful of sports. So certainly if you're kind of, uh, you know, with the current situation with COVID, you know, there's just recently been an announcement of, of a sort of bailout for a number of sports, but still, a huge number will really struggle. And one of the first things that goes is is the kind of the sports psychology side of things. So even people who've maybe felt like they did have a pretty secure role in an organization, maybe now are a little bit less certain about that. So mm. yeah, it's it's a tricky one. But on the other hand, it's also super cool. I, sh- I shouldn't just focus on the negatives. You get to work in sport, which for a lot of people is really exciting. Um, you are for the most part, your own boss, which is also really really cool um you can kind of pick your own hours the the hours can end up being a little bit weird because very often you're trying to fit in around other people's schedules so often working evenings and weekends um a lot of sport and sport training happens then so it's sort of that time you know that time becomes very very popular so not always ideal so you kind of have to be careful with with where you draw your draw your work-life boundaries to make sure that you're also getting time with with your you know on your own with your friends with your family to sort of make a bit of time for your your own life on top of that sounds just like podcasting to be honest (laughs) there might Um, be some similarities there i'm sure um do you think it helps alex to have knowledge of the sport that sporting field that you're working within in fact i said does it help um is it is it essential in some ways to have some detailed knowledge of the particular sport so i think it it might be helpful um I, i definitely wouldn't go as far as to say it's essential um you know i I think I think one of the things, you know, if you are working in a sport where you haven't worked before is is basically sort of being pretty upfront about that and sort of saying, like, I'm going to need you to talk to me about what your sport entails, what the structure of a season looks like, how many competitions you have, how often you train. You know, those kinds of things are going to be really important to sort of understand what their what what an athlete's kind of day to day life is like. Um, But I don't think it's it's essential. And and to be honest, I think given 
the way that most sports psychologists end up working in, in you know, having multiple jobs. Most people end up sort of working in, in, in a number of different sports. Certainly, if you're working kind of in in private practice where you're kind of seeing individual clients who kind of come to you, you'd you'd be really kind of limiting yourself if you were like, okay, I'm only going to deal with one specific sport or even one category of sport. You you would you might struggle to kind of get enough clients there. Um, that being said, you know there are I know that there are some people who have sort of specializations. So sometimes you know if you know you've got a client who comes through the door and and you know it's something that you really don't know about or that you really perhaps even don't particularly care about if it's a sport that doesn't interest you but you know someone who really does specialize in it you might just refer them on and go like oh actually you know I don't know anything about dressage (laughs) but I know a person who does so if you want to go and do horse ballet (laughs) like that's the person to talk to um so yeah um but I don't think it's essential by any Alex before I let you go I I wanted to ask you as a Spurs fan, uh, do, do you sometimes uh, look at players and think, oh, "I just love to. I'd love to get hold of them. I'd love to. I'd love to work with that particular player." Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I think uh, I, it's something I've definitely sort of toyed with. Is you know, actually, would I would I want to be, you know, if if I were offered the role of head, you know, sports psychologist at, at Tottenham Hotspur, would I want it? Because actually, in some ways, I quite like being able to sort of separate the the sort of the the work from the from the fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would be amazing. And there are certainly some players there who, yeah, I think it would be really interesting to work with. I think, you know, there are some people who who certainly outwardly give the impression of being, you know, kind of star, kind of sports psychology, sports psychology models. Um, you know, Harry Kane is obviously just incredibly kind of relentless and focused. Um, he seems to sort of have a really good combination of those kind of outcome goals, performance goals, process goals, you know word is that he's basically first one out there for training sessions last one off the pitch so he's nailing the process but then you know that he loves breaking those records you know every single time he gets you know he beats someone else some landmark for you know top top Tottenham scorer in Europe or whatever you know he loves it and that's all that's all outcome for him right that's a personal outcome goal so I'd love to work with him I'm not sure how much I'd be able to help um but you know there are there are definitely other sort of players as well who I think would probably maybe be a bit more sort of challenging and you'd love to kind of get under the skin um I think it's been really interesting this season kind of seeing the kind of revelation that's been in Dombele and I think that's a kind of interesting example as well of just sort of like you know he's come to a new country and I think again as fans or, or and and potential journalists as well people often overlook that but you know like you are uprooting your family moving to a whole different country new colleagues new boss new company like that would be a massive change for mm. anyone mm. you know let alone you know and if if, the, if you did do that and you were sort of reporting to your desk on monday morning and then like by the way here's you know sixty thousand people and if you the first time you get <laughs> this wrong you're going to hear them all sort of like sigh and turn to their mates going he's not worth it that would be pretty you know that's a, that's an intense cauldron to kind of get thrown into um and i, I think that sort of just speaks to a point about kind of how those sort of external non-sporting factors can also really impact your life. Um, and, you know, generally one of the sort of uh, a bit of a rule of thumb for sports psychology is that, you know, an happy, uh, a happy athlete is a successful athlete for the most part. Um, and therefore, if you can kind of understand what's going on outside of the sporting realm, that can also be really helpful. Um, but, but also that I think having things outside of your sport is really helpful as well. Um, you know, for most people 
who aren't professional athletes, sport is a release. It's it's a, a fun hobby that you do to let off steam from your day job. And when you are a professional athlete, that is no longer the case, right? Your performances now pay the bills. They are your be all and end all potentially if you let yourself sort of think about it in that way. So all of a sudden sort of building up, you know, a, a, a kind of external support system of good friends is hugely important. Maybe seeking out sports psychology support as well. But also that, you know, like um, just the idea of, of, of having other interests, whether those are kind of just pastimes. You know, we, we always see the little kind of Instagram videos of the guys always playing. They seem to be playing Uno uh, pretty much all of the time, um, you know, and cricket or, now. And cricket now yeah. Um, or whether it's playing Fortnite or whatever. But, you know, I think it's also one of those things where, you know, sometimes, again, sort of people potentially can kind of jump to conclusions and they'll sort of jump on a player for sort of having sort of extracurricular kind of like non non Spurs related activities or non football related activities. And then, oh, you know, and, and I guess could it, I think Delhi's come in for a, a good amount of that criticism at various points is sort of like he should just get his head down. He should stop trying to you know launch a hat brand or stop playing Fortnite. He should just be training. I mean, like he can't train 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And in the meantime, having other interests, other things to sort of preoccupy him, potentially distract him. Those those are helpful you know, potentially really important sort of opportunities to step away from the pressure of having a job that is also, you know, a job that has been sort of brought about because it was a hobby as well, right? So his hobby is now his job, huge amounts of scrutiny, huge amounts of pressure. Um, and I, I think that's sometimes something that, yeah, certainly as a sports psychologist, I kind of, that, that kind of gets my back up a bit when you sort of see people and, and very often it's sort of led by a kind of a slightly aggressive uh, journalist or something mm-hmm. will kind of start picking holes in a particular player because they don't think that they're spending the time that you know that journalist thinks they should be um but you know they, that's just you know people have to have other interests other hobbies they need to be well-rounded and uh you know having an identity beyond beyond your sport is is really important um i think sometimes you know if even just sort of looking at some of the players you know you know, sometimes you you even hear things like, oh, well, you know, will Harry Kane be able to play well, you know, now that he's got a young kid at home? I remember that when, you know, commentators sort of saying that when his first mm. daughter was born. I'm pretty sure that was the season most people, perhaps with the exception of this season, hold up as his best one. You know, it was like he was absolutely unplayable as he is most seasons. But, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, having having a child would be a sort of distraction from football is, is a pretty kind of... Uh, sort of closed-minded way of looking at things and actually potentially just having that other thing almost to sort of oh well you know what it's not the end of the world if I if I don't win the golden boot this year that's fine I've still got other things in my life that I can take pride in is is also just really really healthy yeah sense of perspective that's really interesting and I think it applies to um us everyday folk as well I mean I, I feel like I perform I perform better at work when I'm having a particularly big busy week in terms of podcast stuff because I tend to find that if I keep myself busy all the time uh, I get more done at work strangely I don't feel tired often people would say um, players are wearing themselves out off the field and therefore their performance suffers I I find the opposite in my life when when I'm at my busiest I perform better Um, and it's actually when I've got a bit of downtime that I perhaps become more sluggish at work Um, and, and you know I'm thinking of someone like Marcus Rashford clearly he's had an exceptionally busy year making sure that children uh, are not dying of starvation and I have seen some sort of callous people say on social media that that might have a negative effect on his performance 
from what you're saying, Alex, it might even have the opposite effect. It might improve his performance in some ways due to having a, a focus outside of his sport that uh, allows him to uh, relax a bit. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it's again, as with, with so much of this, it's it's going to depend a little bit on who you are as an individual and, and also what you're doing. Right. So I'm not sure any sports psychologist would advocate that, you know, it would be healthy for your sporting sporting performance to be going out six nights a week getting wrecked like that's probably not the kind of hobby that a sports psychologist would would sort of try to lead you towards but yeah I think making sure that kids have food is probably the kind of hobby that you know maybe is also equally rewarding and potentially actually take some of that pressure off from from you know is is it that important if you you know score at the weekend if you've actually managed to make sure that a whole bunch of hungry children have enough to eat like well yeah maybe that maybe that actually helps kind of lift some of that burden and 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 approach the game with a bit more of that kind of like fun carefree aspect and I, i actually i think that also kind of talks a lot to sometimes just when you see these young players come up through the ranks and the first season or you know in the team they play with that real kind of freedom and lack of pressure because there's no expectation right then all of a sudden the next season all of a sudden they're being marked a bit more tightly everyone knows who they are that you know and now there's that expectation that pressure so the game is harder both on the field purely from a footballing dynamic but also there's this expectation and expectation can be a really unhelpful feature and again you know thinking about the sort of the research that I've done on on choking is like that expectation is 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 a really important dynamic within you know what leads to potentially having that kind of failure under pressure um, and so you know if you can put your sporting performances into perspective uh, as you said great great phrasing there to put it into perspective yeah then actually potentially that sort of relieves a little bit of that expectation relieves some of that pressure maybe allows you to play as you as you would like to you know and also just have some fun along the way um mm. and and almost everyone does you, you do things better if you're having fun with them right? absolutely so absolutely. If, if football has become a chore and it is just a career that is you know not probably going to get the best out of your players uh, indeed alex this has been really really fascinating um thank you on behalf of of myself nathan and bardi but also our listeners who i'm sure we're so much from this can you um can, can you finish by giving some recommended reading if people are interested in following up on any of this are there any sort of entry-level books that you think would be um worth recommending yeah so i guess probably the one that i would sort of say is 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 a good one is the chimp paradox um and that's by steve peters so he's actually a sports psychiatrist not psychologist so he's actually a fully qualified doctor um he has worked with everyone. He actually did a series of very short promotional videos with Harry Kane a couple of years ago that were promoting a brand of subscription razor that sponsor a lot of podcasts. So I'm not going to not going to give them any free press. They can pay you for that. Um, but the uh, yeah, he's he's come in for a little bit of criticism recently. He's been associated with some of the sort of slightly nastier sporting environments like at British swimming. Uh, sorry, British cycling, uh, British cycling. Um, but yeah, he, um, so he's he, his reputation on a sort of personal level and his work has come in for a little bit of criticism. But his book is is very, very well structured. It's very in depth and it really goes into a lot of the sort of has some very nice metaphors for kind of like the, how the brain works, how the different parts of the human brain work and interact and how that can you know impact on all of the aspects that we've spoken about today of sort of motivation, confidence, dealing with pressure, those kinds of things as well. Um there are, of course, you know, a lot of the kind of slightly more sort of pop psychology ones. Um, so Matty Syed's Bounce is a, a sort of 
a good entry level one um, that covers a lot of different sort of concepts. Um, I'd urge a little bit of caution sometimes with, you know, Malcolm Gladwell does a lot of these kinds of ideas as well. I'd urge a little bit of caution with them that they obviously slightly pick and choose and they tend to sort of condense what might be very nuanced uh, research. And they sort of maybe just kind of say, and that's how it works when perhaps there's a little bit more to it than that. Uh, and occasionally there's then maybe been further research since the book's come out that sort of suggests ah, actually maybe okay. it's not quite as, as clear cut as that. Um, I... On that note, I really like a book called uh, Mindset by uh, Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. Um, How do I know that name? Um, that's come up at work recently. Could, Someone else well, recommended Carol Dweck. So growth growth mindset is definitely a, a term that has sort of spilled yes. out into a lot of realms. Um, again, some of the it, it's a very it's a really interesting book. It covers all different aspects so it's literally split by cap by chapter into kind of like how you can apply a growth mindset at work in your family life in sports and so it's it's quite helpful and you can almost therefore sort of pick and choose you can read the introduction and then pick a chapter depending on which which one you're most interested in um it's and i i think it's a very intuitive concept to get your head around um which i think is why it's also now sort of spread quite widely into the sort of the broader world um Again, I just sort of would would caveat that by saying that a lot of a lot of the research in that is really compelling. But I think that there are since it's all come out, there's a uh, there are people who've sort of maybe questioned whether it's quite as effective as it sort of appears to be from from that book. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it's maybe potentially something that like if you can develop a growth mindset, that's great to a point. It doesn't sort of continue being more and more and more helpful over time. But it is a really it's a really interesting read. Uh, I found it like very yeah, it's, it's quite inspire, like inspiring uh, to read it and sort of think about how you can sort of approach things differently. So it's mm -hmm. a lot of it is about sort of seeing seeing sort of failures or setbacks as learning opportunities, basically, and kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to approach no, things from that perspective. I did that. It's, as you've spoken, it's all come back to me. I did a, a, a very brief training course on 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 mindsets uh, and it's the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset that she discusses in her book. I haven't read the book, but I'm, I'm going to now. Um, and the, the concepts were really useful, actually, from a management perspective in terms of trying to move um, colleagues and, and employees from fixed mindsets to growth mindsets and some of the tools that you could use to, to help along the way. Um, yeah, I found that I found that helpful. I will definitely do some some more reading on that for sure. Yeah, no, it, it, it is. It's a it's a good read. Um, and I think also one of the reasons it's probably spread as well as it has is that the, the book is very easily digestible. Like it, it's written a very accessible, uh, accessible way. And I, I think just, yeah, the, the concept is very intuitive. That you can, oh, OK, yeah, like I, I can see sense. that. Yeah. 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 Like exactly. Um, and she does a good job of sort of using nice examples from from everyday life and, and high profile kind of sporting or business examples to kind of tie it back to. Awesome. Brilliant. And Alex, finally, um, you must have some stuff to plug. So please feel <laughs> free to plug away. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I really the the biggest thing is is me and the, the consultancy that I, I work for. So I work for a, uh, a company called Optimize Potential. Um, so you can find find that as you know if you Google optimized potential sports psychology that should pop up as the first first option. Um, optimized potential also has you know we're on all the social medias uh, as am I. I'm basically just Alex Stoyle on basically every platform I think. Um, so yeah, and my my name is yeah so it's S T O Y E L 
um, which is a, an unusual spelling. And most people try and put the L before the E. So it's, yeah. But yeah. Um, and of course, you know, always happy if people are, are interested in finding out more. Um, yeah, I, I, I love helping out teams or individuals. So if there's anything that people want to sort of find out more about, then please let me know either. Yeah, find me on social media or you can contact me through the Optimized Potential website. Amazing. Alex, thank you so much for your time. It's been a fascinating conversation. And um, as I said, we all really appreciate it. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud E. Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.